Okay, let's go ahead and get into the scriptures. So, we'll go ahead and, and go through our message, and then we'll take some time to discuss it as a church body. Um, I've decided to entitle this, The Opportunities God is Giving Us Through the Coronavirus. So this is focused on opportunities. We're going to try to turn a, a bad thing into a good thing today. So let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help today. We ask, Lord God, that you would help us to see this world situation the way you see it. We know that we don't. Our thoughts are not your thoughts, and our ways are not your ways. As the heavens are as, as high above the earth, so are your thoughts higher than our thoughts. And we, we don't see things the way you do, but we ask that you'd give us help today to do that. Lord, let us see what you're doing in the midst of all of this. And let us be quick, Lord, for you to, to use us as your ambassadors in this day and age. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us know that right now the whole world is fixated on this coronavirus. It's about all anybody is talking about. You get into discussions and everything else is swept under the rug and this is the major topic of conversation everywhere. I think it's going to go down in the history books. I've been alive 60 years and nothing like this has ever happened in the last 60 years that I can remember. And it's crazy how this virus can bring the world to its knees. If you think about it, it's bringing the whole world to its knees. And it's not just a medical problem. Maybe far more serious is the economic ramifications that this is going to happen to the globe. Because uh, unemployment is now skyrocketing. Restaurants, hotels, and bars are all closed. The airline industry has been dramatically impacted. International travel has been banned to many places. Uh, the whole NBA Season is canceled. Major League Baseball has been indefinitely postponed. My own business, so this comes down to personal, comes down to personal for all of us, but my business has been dramatically impacted where we're hardly getting any calls anymore or appointments. Um, the stock market has dropped 37% in one month. So it was up here and it's dropped to there in 30 days, which is crazy. Uh, most Americans don't have a cash reserve to deal with this. They live from paycheck to paycheck. So they don't have any money to pay their rent if they're out of work or to buy food. Um, many can no longer work, and so they have no way to pay their bills. And it's feared that crime is going to dramatically increase because people are going to start stealing. If they don't have the money to buy food, they're just going to take it. So we are in a crazy, crazy situation right now, but our God has not changed. And so for the Christian, he needs to set his sights on the, the true and living God rather than on his circumstances, and he needs to not freak out and follow the mass hysteria. He needs to focus on God, and God is going to lead us through this time. Panic and fear, are, of course, are at an all-time high. I've never seen the, this... The state of the people around me is so fearful and so anxious. You know, 
the stockpiling, the hoarding, the people making runs on the stores. And I was curious. I didn't really know why people were doing that. Why are they going and buying out all the toilet paper and the hand sanitizer? I can understand the hand sanitizer, but the other things I couldn't so much. And I just read this last week. This is a quote from Sander van der Linden, who is an assistant professor of social psychology at Cambridge University. He said, when people are stressed, their reason is hampered. So they look at what other people are doing. If others are stockpiling, it leads you to engage in the same behavior, he said. People see photos of empty shelves, and regardless of whether it's rational, it sends a signal to them that that's the thing to do. So that makes as good a sense as anything I've considered so far. Now, my question, and the question all of us as Christians need to be asking ourselves is, how are we supposed to respond in all this? How do we respond? What is God doing in all of this? Maybe that's the bigger question. I want to focus on four opportunities that I believe the Lord is giving us in the midst of this chaos. Four opportunities. The first one is that He's giving you an opportunity to test your faith in His sovereignty. We all say that we believe that God is sovereign. This is a time for us to test to see whether that's really true. You say, well, Brian, what do you mean by the sovereignty of God? What I mean by that is that God rules and reigns over all peoples, all things, and all events. What I mean by the sovereignty of God is that God is in ultimate control. Not men, not Satan, not demons, not viruses. God is the one who is in ultimate control. He does give limited power to men and limited power to Satan and to demons, but he retains final authority in all things. And so what this really means is that nothing happens unless God causes or permits that thing to happen. If we say that something happens without God's causing it or permitting it, we're saying that God wants something to happen, but he can't stop it. And that's unbiblical because our God is all-powerful. And what I want to do is just read you several scriptures without much of any comment at all, but just to read them, which talk about this doctrine, this truth of the sovereignty of God. So, the first one, Psalm 103, verse 19. It says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. Or Psalm 115, verse 3. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. Or Isaiah 45, 7. I am the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these. Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 46, 9 through 11. God says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass, I have planned it, surely I will do it. Sounds like God is letting us know the certainty of the things that He has purposed and the certainty of those things coming to pass, that they will happen. 
Daniel 4.35 All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? In other words, God's going to do what God wants to do, and nobody can stop him from doing it. Amos 3.6 If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Now that's a hard one for a lot of Christians. I've heard many Christians say, well, the good things in life, those come from God. But the bad things, those come from the devil. God has nothing to do with those things. But did you hear Amos 3.6? If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? It doesn't say that Satan did it. It said the Lord did it. We, if we believe in the doctrine of the sovereignty of God, we have to accept the fact that the Lord has ordained that certain things will happen. Certain things that from our perspective are bad. Certain things that cause pain and suffering to people. But the Lord has a purpose in these things. A bigger purpose than our suffering. It's much bigger than that. Ephesians 1.11 Having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will. All things. Romans 8.28 We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now either brothers and sisters, we believe these scriptures or we don't. If we believe them, then we believe that our God is in control. And that though it seems like the world is spinning out of control right now, and it does, doesn't it? You look around and think things are just crazy. Things are spinning out of control. Not, not from our God's perspective. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And God is bringing his plan and his purpose to fruition. And it involves this silly little coronavirus <laughs> that is spreading around the world. God is going to use this whole situation to accomplish the things that he wants to do in the world. If we believe these scriptures, we also have to believe one thing. You and I are indestructible until God is through with us. We are not going to die until God's timing for us to die has been completed. I love that. We are indestructible. And this is going to give us courage to face whatever trials we will experience in life. Whatever suffering that we're going to have to face in life. Now, let me just ask you this. What do you think is the reason for so much widespread fear and anxiety? What's at the root of it all? If you dig down to the bottom, what's it coming from? And the reason I think is at the root of all this, I think people are afraid, well, of the unknown, of course, but primarily they're afraid of death. They're afraid to die. And the wonderful thing about the Christian is that God has delivered him from the fear of death, according to Hebrews chapter 2. I want to go there with you and read that. It's Hebrews 2. Verses 14 and 15. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, that's Jesus himself likewise, also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject or subject to slavery all their lives. I believe what he's saying here is that 
certain people are subject to slavery this, and the slavery is being a slave to fear and the fear that they're afraid of is death and he's saying that Jesus Christ has freed those who used to be enslaved to the fear of death he's freed them from that so that they're no longer under slavery to the fear of death now that should be true about us let me just ask you, are you afraid to die? I know people say, oh, I'm not afraid to die, I'm just afraid of dying. <laughs> I'm afraid of the pain of going through. And I can understand that. No one, no one looks forward to suffering. But, but what my question really has to do is, are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of what's happening on the other side? For the Christian, death has lost its sting. The stinger has been removed. The power or the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord 2 Corinthians 5.8 the Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord and that doesn't sound like a real bad thing to me <laughs> in fact that sounds like paradise because to be at home with the Lord means we have exited this realm where sin is so present where we live in a fallen world with all kinds of suffering and pain and mourning and crying and tears all that is behind us we enter a whole new realm we are at home with the Lord or he says in Philippians 1 21 and 23 for to me to live is Christ and to die is what is gain that means it's better and he even goes on to say, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, very much better than to live on in this world. Do you agree with that? Amen. If you do, you shouldn't be afraid of death. In fact, death is a portal into paradise for the Christian. Death has lost its sting for the Christian. If you believe in the sovereignty of God, you believe that God has numbered your days. That you can't die before God is ready for you to die. In fact, Psalm 139.16 says, In your book, God, were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now in Psalm 139, he's talking about the, the baby in the, in the womb of the mother, the embryo. And he's saying to that little, that little child being formed in the womb, in God's book, all of his days that were ordained for him were written before he even exited the womb and came into the world. Got it all ready, spelled out in his book how many days that child was going to live. They, what? 16. Verse 16. So, by saying that Christians believe in the sovereignty of God and that we are indestructible until God is through with us, I'm not saying that we should test the Lord. I'm not saying that we shouldn't use common sense. I'm not saying that you shouldn't wash your hands, refrain from shaking hands with other people, wearing a face mask if you become infected or you are around other people that are infected. That's just common sense and that's just wise. But I am saying you shouldn't be afraid and you shouldn't face the, the future with fear and high levels of anxiety. But because we know the Lord, we ought to be able to enter into the future calm, relaxed, peaceful, having full confidence in God who 
works all things together for the good of his people. And the good things there, Romans 8.28, has to do with our sanctification. If you read the next verse. It has to do with us being conformed into the image of Jesus. And God is using this whole situation in the world right now in the lives of believers to conform them to the image of Jesus. So, brothers and sisters, do you believe that God is sovereign over all things? Have you been delivered from the fear of death? These are questions we need to really answer. And praise God, he's giving us an opportunity right now to deal with them and just consider them. So, there's the first way, the first opportunity God is giving us. We get to test ourselves. What are we really made of? Where is our faith level? Do we really believe the word of God? Secondly, God's giving us an opportunity to sacrificially love our neighbors. Or I could say he, he may be giving us that opportunity in the future. If God has delivered us from the fear of death, then we are, of all people, we're in a position to take risks to love our neighbor. So what I mean by that is, what everybody is so concerned about is that we're not going to have the medical resources available to deal with all the numbers of people that become infected. Let's say, worst case scenario, our hospitals are overrun and they don't have enough beds, they don't have enough respirators, they need volunteers to come and care for people because we don't have enough medical professionals to go around. My question to all of you is, are you willing to take the risk to actually care for people um, in this situation. In 1918, the Spanish flu spread around the globe. And it, it was a, a huge a killer of people. It was right towards the end of World War I. Well, it was actually during the war. Uh, health workers were pleading for volunteers and very few people were complying or agreeing to help. In Philadelphia, the head of emergency pleaded for help in caring for sick children and nobody was coming forth. So let's say that situation happened again today. Would we be willing to take the risks necessary to help other people and, and in the midst of helping them, point them to the only one that can really give eternal help? I think Christians should be the first people that would respond in a crisis like this. The reason is because if we die, that's our best possible future. If they die, it's their worst possible future. Let me just share a few examples of how Christians have dealt with this in the past. In the early 4th century, a plague hit the city of Caesarea. Eusebius was the bishop of Caesarea and he was also a church historian. And he writes about what happened during that time. Most of the inhabitants of Caesarea fled from the city, but the Christians stayed behind. Why? Well, I'll let Eusebius tell you. He says, all day long, some of the Christians tended to the dying and to their burial, countless numbers, with no one to care for them. Others gathered together from all parts of the city. A multitude of those withered from famine and distributed bread to them all. Eusebius went on to say that the Christians' deeds were on everyone's lips, and they glorified the God of the Christians. Such actions convinced them that they alone were pious and truly reverent to God. So people were looking at the, the lives, the actions of the Christians, and how they selflessly risked their own life to care for other people that were hurting. And they said, that's the true and living God. 
They said, um, the Christians, they alone, of all the people that we can see, they alone are pious and truly reverent towards God. See, their lives made a difference. Their lives attracted people to say that God is real. Because they had people that truly believed Him. And walked without fear, willing to risk all. Another situation is in 1519, the Black Death, the bubonic plague, reached Zurich, Switzerland. And this was the home of one of the reformers. We know him by Ulrich Zwingli. I don't know if you've heard of that name, but he was one of the great reformers of the 1500s. He was on vacation when this plague broke out in his hometown. When he heard about it, he rushed back from his vacation into his hometown and he dove in to care for the sick and the needy and to comfort them with the hope of the gospel. And as he risked his life, he caught the disease and he became very ill. He almost died. In the midst of his sufferings, he wrote some poems. I want to read you one of his poems. The first part comes from the time when he first became sick. And then the last part of this poem is from the time where he became even worse and was at the brink of death when he wrote the last section. So here's the first part of this poem. He said, Help me, O Lord, my strength and rock. Lo, at the door I hear death's knock. Uplift thine arm, once pierced for me, that conquered death and set me free. Yet if thy voice in life's midday recalls my soul, then I obey. In faith and hope, earth, I resign, secure of heaven, for I am thine. And now, when his health is almost gone, he says, My pains increase, haste to console, for fear and woe seize body and soul. Death is at hand, my senses fail, my tongue is dumb, now Christ prevail. Lo, Satan strains to snatch his prey, I feel his grasp, must I give way? He harms me not, I fear no loss, for here I lie beneath thy cross. God had given him peace that passes all natural human comprehension. He wasn't afraid to die. He, he knew that it, whether he died or lived, he was beneath the cross of Jesus Christ. So his hope of heaven filled him with courage and enabled him to risk everything for other people. So we need to ask ourselves that very question. At this point, the government is saying stay you know, six feet away from everybody else, but let's say that everything changes because people need help. Will we be willing to risk whatever health we have in order to, to reach out to others? I think that we need to be able to do that. We need to show the love of Christ in perilous times. A third opportunity. God is giving you an opportunity to show the world the difference that Jesus makes. Now the Bible says pretty clearly that there should be an obvious difference between the lives of Christians and the lives of people in the world. It should be obvious. If it's not, that's to our shame. But Jesus said in Matthew 5, 46 and 47, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Now, it, you can see Jesus' probing questions here. If you greet the same people that, that greet you, well, tax collectors do that. 
You're supposed to be different than the tax collectors. If you love people that love you back, well, Gentiles do that. You're supposed to be different than the Gentiles. You're supposed to have a supernatural love that's greater than the world can muster. You should look different than tax collectors and different than Gentiles. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, your life should show that. I think that's Jesus' point. In 1 John 3.10, John says, By this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. So according to the Apostle John, there should be an obvious difference in the life of a Christian from that of a non-Christian. The disciple of Jesus practices righteousness. That's, that's part of his nature. God has given him this new nature at spiritual rebirth. And it's, it's a nature that loves righteousness and wants to practice righteousness and seeks to pra practice that righteousness. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Now, I find that interesting. He says, the peace I'm going to give you is not like the peace that the world gives. The world will look to all kinds of different places to try to come up with some sense of peace in the midst of a crisis. Jesus gives us a whole different kind of peace. He says it's his peace, my peace, I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Oh, somebody left a package. <laughs> um, and that promise that Jesus gave is just as true today as 2,000 years ago. He has left his peace. And so, notice what he tells us. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not let your heart be fearful. When he says, do not let it, that means there's some responsibility that we have. We're responsible. If, we, if our hearts are troubled or fearful, there's something that we have not done. Our full trust is not in Christ and we're not receiving that peace that he has left us. We're depending on other things or looking to other things rather than to Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, I exhort you, don't let your heart be troubled. If it starts to get troubled, refuse to accept it. Go to God immediately. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for how much? How many things? Nothing. Nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And here's the beautiful promise. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is talking about something supernatural. It surpasses all comprehension. In other words, it's not the kind of peace that the world can get. This is different. And so, for this reason, there is a sense in which the coronavirus is very good for us. Because it helps us to see what we're really made of. It helps us to see what we're really trusting in. It helps us to see, do I have a true and living and vital faith? Am I at peace in the midst of the storm? Not saying that I look forward to the troubles in the future, but am I afraid? Am I deathly afraid of them? No. No. 
God has not changed. God is still on the throne. God is still running the universe. God still is going to care for his own. He's going to get us through these times. And hopefully he's going to use us in these times to make an impact. So brothers and sisters, we should stand out from the world in two areas. In the way we love people and the peace that we experience that comes from God himself. Those two areas especially. So will we take risks if necessary, to show the love of Jesus Christ. Let's consider that. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what he has entrusted to me until that day. Do you know in whom you have believed? And are you convinced that he is able to guard what he's entrusted to you until that day? Is your life standing out? Or do you find yourself reacting the same as the world around you is reacting? Let's not let that happen. Number four, God is giving you an opportunity to point others to Jesus Christ. In the most fearful and stressful times, people are often most receptive to the gospel. Because they're shaken up, their foundations are all shaken. They don't know where to turn, they don't know where to look, and they're willing to listen, where at other times they may not be willing to listen at all. There was a cholera outbreak, and it reached London when Spurgeon was ministering there at the Metropolitan Tabernacle pulpit. And from one of his sermons, this is how he admonished his flock. He said, now is the time for all of you who love souls. You may see men more alarmed than they are already. And if they should be, mind that you avail yourselves of the opportunity of doing them good. You have the balm of Gilead. When their wounds smart, pour it in. You know of him who died to save. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man, that man might be lifted to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there is life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them that he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. Tell them that he is able to save even at the eleventh hour. And to say to the dying thief, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What I'm thinking is that this situation in the world may open the door to unprecedented ministry for the church. We've been going through a very long, dry spell spiritually for the church in America. We haven't seen a true revival or work of God. As far as I know, we'd have to go all the way back to the late 60s, early 70s in the Jesus movement to see something on a, a large scale where God was pouring out His Spirit and saving masses of people at one time. Now what is that 50 years ago? This could provide such, just such an opportunity. It could provide a spiritual awakening here in our country, which we desperately need. We have drifted so far from where we once were as a nation, where we would publicly confess our trust in God. We've drifted so far. Maybe God is actually shaking things up a little bit because he intends to do a new work. I hope and pray that's the case. But what I want to exhort you to is to seize whatever opportunities this gives you. People are talking about death. 
People are talking about mortality. People are having to face the fact that they are going to die and are they prepared to die? Especially people who are seniors. It's on their mind a lot. So it's going to give us opportunities to speak the gospel which we don't normally have. What a great opportunity to share the love of Christ and the death of Christ for sinners. So I know that we can't get together in person because of the restrictions, but we do have texting available, we have phone calls available, we have emails available, we've got Facebook, Instagram, social media, we've got all of these te technological ways still available for us to communicate with people. So if you find yourself on Facebook and um, you're responding to a post, seize the opportunity to point people to Christ at this hour. That's what all men desperately need. The, the government is not our savior, President Trump is not going to save the United States from this catastrophe. Christ is the only Savior. Let's point people to Him. Amen. Folks, the Lord has placed us here at such a time as this to glorify Him by trusting in Him. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So let your light shine. Let the world see that the followers of Jesus don't need to be afraid, they don't need to panic, that they trust in a good and loving Father who has a good eternal plan that He's working out without fail. And so seize the opportunity to demonstrate your faith in the sovereignty of God. Seize the opportunity to love your neighbor and serve them sacrificially. Seize the opportunity to demonstrate that Christ really does make a difference Seize the opportunity to witness for him and to preach the gospel through whatever means are at your disposal. And if we do that, if we seize these opportunities, then this is not wasted time. Then God is doing something good and something special right at this very time. And you might think that, oh man, why, why, why was I alive during this craziness? You might flip that on its head and say, I get to be alive during this craziness. And I get to allow God to use me during this time when everybody else is freaking out, I can point them to the only one that can really provide a rock and a refuge and a fortress for them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your truth. May we stand on your truth and not give way, Lord. I pray that you'd enable us to not allow our hearts to be troubled or fearful, but that we would walk in power and in the victory of the Holy Spirit and that, Lord, you would use us in this world at this troubled time to stand out as lights in the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.